0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to
1: come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan.
1: You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So, Johnny Bairstow admits he's unsure if he'll keep wicket for England in the five-test series in India later this month. Can he and Ben Folks fit into the same 11 We'll talk about that. Also, the T20 World Cup. England are grouped with Australia in the opening round. We'll have a look at uh, those four groups and pick out any possible upsets. And South Africa test coach, Shukri Conrad, reflects on the shortest test match in history. The second test between South Africa and India was over in a total of just 107 overs at Newlands in Cape Town. Talk Sports cricket editor John Norman reflects on the career of David Warner and who might replace him at the top of the order for Australia in test matches, that is. And finally, we'll be joined by new Lancashire head coach Dale Bankenstein. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to Following On. Let's begin then, Harmi, on a subject that we have spoken about last week and a couple of times before that. Uh, Johnny Bairstow saying that he hasn't spoken to anybody about what his role might be in India, whether he'll just bat or whether he'll keep wicket. And, and it is an interesting question, isn't it, whether Bairstow and Fokes can both fit into the same 11. And ha- is it possible even that Foulkes has been selected and might not keep? It's an interesting conundrum amongst many Conundrums that we uh, we've, we've uh, we're about to face in a couple of weeks' time.
0: Yeah, we're going to face some big conundrums when it comes to the the spin bowling option. How they're going to utilise their bowling unit without the fifth bowler? The fifth bowler likely to be Joe Root. They've got stellar batten When it comes to this, is the best batting unit they've got. How do they fit them in? Is there a, an argument for Root going to three, with him being your best batter and being successful in in India before? Um, all these conundrums are, especially from the batting department, is how can you get Johnny Besto into the team without him being wiki keeper? and can you do that? And I'm not sure you can. So there's be some big calls, you know, whether it be Ollie Pope or one of the two openers. Duckett's Duckett's a must because he's, he plays spin very very well. Uh, Crawley had a brilliant Ashes and it just looked as though Zach Crawley's eventually cementing himself as a, a mainstay in this in the team uh, on merit um, because of his performances in in, in the big series in, against Australia. Then you've got Pope, who's been out for a long period of time. Where does Johnny Bairstow fit in? You've given folks the, the luxury of a, a central contract, which is basically saying we're going to, you know, we we believe that you are going to keep Wicket for us over a period of time in the next 12 months. And that would suggest that it's going to be these five test matches. And unfortunately, you know, eight doesn't go into seven. And I think that is uh, the the big talking point, is where does Bairstow fit in? Me personally, I'd like Root to go to number three because he's our best player. And I think then you can fit Johnny in, in the middle order. Um, but if if Olly Pope stays at three and Root goes to four, Then unfortunately, it's either besto or folks, and again comes back to the preparation that I mentioned in the last couple of weeks. Is that if you aren't on the ground, and then all of a sudden you put yourself under pressure because you start losing games, and the batting order is not firing, the big temptation and the big call will be, well, we need more runs, so we'll drop folks and we'll play besto. And for me, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to get away from. Reacting to that because I can see that happening. And you know, you've got to pick your best, you pick your best gloveman. And for me, the best gloveman would probably be Ben, folks. But the best package will be always be the same argument will be Johnny Berstow. Is Johnny Berstow in a better position now to keep than what he was during the Ashes after such a long time out? Is he fit enough physically to stand up for five test matches? Is the body fit enough to do that? As well as bat, and you know potentially get hundreds. Um, these are questions that you know the, the time in Abu Dhabi and the short time in India is going to tell whether you know where we get to the first Test matches. But I can't wait to see what that first eleven is going to be because we only have four our four frontline bowlers because you know England want to have the luxury of that number seven being their batter wicketkeeper.
1: All right, one thing that we haven't um, asked about this England team. Is whether they'll have the courage to do anything um, since um, the Ben Stokes Brendan McCullum axis took charge. Um, they've they've never ever lacked for courage. Um, so I just, this is a completely left field, silly question. But let's say they turn up in Hyderabad, Harmy, and um, from two days out, there's not a blade of grass on the wicket, and uh, when there's a when there's a, a slight. Um, Puff of wind. There's a puff of dust as well coming up from the pitch before we've bowled a ball. So we're talking a lot about will England play a second spinner? Will they go in with four bowlers and Joe Root's the fifth bowler? But in days gone by, in the seventies and and eighties, even India in those conditions used to play three spinners. And in fact, a couple of years ago, in the last England tour, they played three spinners and one seamer. I mean, Sunil Gavaskar used to take the new ball for a couple of overs before the spinners got got to work so Jack Leach, Rian Ahmed do you think there's any possibility at all that England will say okay we may not be able to match you but we'll try if India go for the three spinner Ashwin Jadeja and Akshar Patel is that is that even even possible I mean we're talking extreme right they walk out there not a blade on the grass but it's going to turn from from before lunch on day one
0: I think Robert Sharma's press conference in South Africa tells us that the next five test matches are going to turn sideways off the, off the back. And he had a great point and he met it brilliantly. And he did, to be fair. And we'll come on to the South African series a little bit later in the show. But he's right. If you're going to play on green wickets and it's going to zip about a bit, don't complain when you come to India and it turns. So I think he more or less told the England captain in the England camp that you're coming to India for five test matches and it's going to spin. I can see England playing two seamers, two spinners, and Joe as the third spin bowler. I think they'll rotate the two quick bowlers in in Anderson and, and um and Atkinson. Uh, sorry, Wood and Atkinson, and then you've got one from Robinson and, and, and Anderson. It wouldn't surprise me if Hartley plays in the first Test match. I think that tall that Axar Patel like you know, a little bit taller drives into the surface. I think England will it'll be between obviously Rihanna and, and and Hartley for that second spinner spot. I don't have a problem with England playing Hartley and Leach, and people might say, "Well, you're playing two left-arm spin bowlers. I think they're different. I think Hartley comes from a, a, a sort of higher release point, a bit like Axar Patel, and that, for me, is I don't have a problem with that. So I'm, I'm expecting if everybody's fit and everybody's firing and everybody's you know ready to go for that first test, I think it'd be Wood and Anderson and it'll be Hartley and, and Leach. That's probably the way I would go with what is in front of us and then Leach, and then joe would be our fifth bowler stroke third spin bowler if it gets to that extreme so i think england will play two seamers in in every test and then they'll choose the second spin option according to ear how people are performing um, and be the surfaces that are you know they're put in front of england but no mistake. This is going to turn for five for five Test matches, and I think Rohit Sharma. Just to give a little indication at the end of this African series, that that is going to happen.
1: What about India? Um, it's really interesting. Uh, England's preparation taking place in Abu Dhabi. India's preparation is a T Twenty series against Afghanistan, and um, the the word in the Indian camp for for months now is uh, how Ajit Agarkar and his selection panel are going to break the news to Virat Kohli that uh, he's not going to feature in the T20 World Cup. But uh, the selectors have just recalled Virat Kohli and Ra- Captain Rohit Sharma, as well as Akshapatel Patel, for that series, uh, a, a T20 series <laughs> against Afghanistan to prepare for a five-match five, five match test series. It's fascinating, isn't it? But, but then again, I suppose, you know, that's the way of... The modern test game, like for South Africa, Kajisa Rabala didn't play a first-class game, let alone, I mean, didn't play a test match or or even a single first-class game for eight months before that first test against India. So, you know, the old notion of of preparation is out the window, as Ben Stokes told you last week.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, But at least they are preparing on the surfaces which are very similar to what they potentially could be playing on. So, like I said, you know, last week, when you talked about, about it, it's... They're playing in their own back garden. They know these surfaces. They understand what the wickets are going to be like. They've just played a, you know, a short test series in in South Africa. i very intri- I was very intrigued to see Virat Kohli in that squad for the Afghanistan series. I thought he would be not so much left out or rested for you know potentially not playing in the World T20 because I, I think it would be madness if you went into the World T20 without Rohit Sharma and and, and Virat Kohli, the two of the you know, two of the greatest players of that format um, that's ever been. And I still think there's miles in them to, to get to Caribbean and, and, and America. So no surprise that they're back. But I thought they might have been rested and waited for, the, for, for England coming. But it's a tough series. We've seen how good Afghanistan played in, in the World Cup. That, that's not a, an easy, easy contest between India and Afghanistan. So to see them playing was a little bit of a surprise. India have got a good side. India have got a really good side at home. I know there's been a lot talked about, the preparation. England could have gone to India for six weeks and prepared the best possible and still come on the losing side if things don't go right for them, i.e. tosses and little bits of DRS. Because DRS will come in massively in this series. Because when spin is in, in play, you know, DRS becomes even more. In, and if you get the rub of the green with an umpire's call, especially for somebody like Joe Root or Ben Stokes, and they get it on their side... And all of a sudden, you know, you you make here when things do go your way. So England need all that to go their their favor. You look down the list of players that are playing for India and the, what potentially could be their team. They've got some headaches in the middle. You know who bats in that in that middle order. But I think when you look at the the, the side of whether the player be interesting to see what seam seam options they've got. But when you look at Jadeja, Ashwin, potentially Axar Patel, you've got Bumrah, Shami, who is one of the probably the best seamers in the world at this moment in time. They've got a very, very strong bowling unit to back up their baton.
1: Okay, as I promised in the intro, let's have a very quick look at the T20 groupings for the T20 World Cup. Lots to look forward to, particularly Pakistan facing India in New York on June the 9th. That's going to be absolutely massive. But look, the top two seeds in the four groups and it's five groups uh, sorry five teams in each group so group a india pakistan ireland canada usa no surprises there i don't think england and australia in group b with namibia scotland and oman i'd be very surprised if there's any upsets there new zealand west indies and afghanistan Mm, i think afghanistan if they get on a couple of low slow turners we can play four spinners i think they might upset the west indies i think i can see the west indies maybe having another disappointing home World Cup. But the obvious upset is clearly going to be the casualty of South Africa in Group D because they're paired with Sri Lanka and Bangladesh and the Netherlands, who they always lose to in World Cups. So South Africa are going out early. (laughs) Yeah, look, that's... There was no... Obviously, there was no...
0: There's never been any hiding that India in world tournaments. India will always play Pakistan. If they can't play them bilaterally, we'll make sure by hook or by crook we'll get at least two games out of them in a tournament base, which would be a, definitely a group game and then potentially a semi final or a final if if that gets if they both get through and do well. So there's no surprise there. England have got a good group. That's a good group. You know, I'm pleased for Scotland. Scotland are going to get two two big hitting nations in England and, and obviously Australia. And you look at you look at the, at the rest and you think, yeah, you know what? South Africa could get knocked out. I don't see the West Indies getting knocked out. It could, I, could be a million mile wrong and I, I never want to back in knockout competitions, especially with their record against the Black Caps. But New Zealand could be a casualty in that group. Because the West Indies at home just hit sixes. And if the, t- the team, the T20 team that turned up against England turned up for the World Cup, they're just gonna hit sixes. So even if you know the Afghanistan turn up with three spinners, four spinners, and it turns, these lads hit it miles out of the park. So that could be the you know, the element of New Zealand might just fall short in that in that group. But I think it's gonna be a good tournament. Pleased to see a lot of emerging nations in there and the weirds the weird, it's gone. It doesn't seem to be a, a massively long tournament, and the top eight teams will be you know who we'd we'd expect. You know whether it be, I think South Africa should have enough to get through their group, and it'll be intriguing because I think Afghanistan are a very very good T20 side. And if it's not New Zealand, it might be what you say the West Indies might just fall fall off. But you know the six hitting the six hitting competition that the West Indies have in at home, I'm going to fancy the West Indies. So it might be the Black Caps that miss out on Super Eight, not and that doesn't happen very often.
1: Well, we shall see. We'll be closely monitoring the build up to that tournament over the next uh, couple of months. And a reminder that uh, the first test in Hyderabad gets underway on the 25th of January. You're listening to Following On Here on Talksport 2. Uh, and you can now watch us as well on YouTube. Just head over to Talksport Cricket YouTube channel and subscribe. All right, let's have a quick look back at uh, South Africa's. So I'm Chuckley. South Africa's two test series against India which actually lasted for a total of less than four and a half days out of 10. You wait nine months for a test match and then <laughs> they're gone in the blink of an eye. Absolutely amazing. It was 1-1 in the end, of course. India losing by an innings and 32 runs before the fastest test in history, lasting just 107 overs. South Africa bowled out for 55 before lunch on day one, having chosen to bat first. And then finishing the day on sixty two for three, having bowled India out for one hundred and fifty three. Three men for South Africa had the ignominy of being dismissed twice on the same day, including Dean Elgar in his uh, final Test match and Tristan Stubbs in his first Test match. I'm not sure how much of it you saw, Army. <laughs> I mean, you blink and you missed half of it, but uh, it, it was um, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, the, you know the. the People are saying like, "Oh, this is the end of Test cricket." Been 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 saying that for a hundred years or more. Uh, the one thing you can say about it is, it was absolutely compelling viewing. It was compelling viewing, and when you get a pitch which has got a
0: lot in it, and let's be fair, it had a lot in it. You still got to bowl well on it, right? You can, and sometimes you can. Sometimes as a bowler, you can actually go for four hundred because you think, right, I've got to bowl. We get taking bowls, you know, and you end up being over pitch or you bowl too short and you get whacked and then the confidence goes. What I can say is that we had two bone attacks who exploited the conditions unbelievably well. You know, Rabada was breathtaking, you know, the, the whole lot. Every single bowler that was on show was unbelievable and it just looked as though it was an absolute nightmare to get in on. Once you got in, not many people got in. You know, Virat Kohli got a few. You know, Adrian Markham got a, a brilliant hundred, but once a bowler got tied you down in and around that off stump, it just had no, you had nowhere to go. It was a bit like what you know, Chester Street at Durham. The wicket was like during the early part of my career in the sort of late nineties, ninety ninety five to to sort of ninety nine, where you land a ball in the right area, and I mean it could hit the bottom of the stumps, it could hit the top of the stumps, it could hit the batter on the shoulder, the head, or whatever. And when you are standing there as a batter, and you've got no idea where it's going off a good length, in a consistent good length, it is. It must be an absolute nightmare to face. So, yes, the wickets weren't the greatest. Still got to bowl well on them, and I thought both teams, bowled unbelievably well on them. So, fair play to Adrian Markham, who got an unbelievable hundred.
1: And Mohammed Siraj actually said afterwards that uh, that he made the mistake at Centurion in the first Test match of trying too hard because they were really helpful conditions. The seamers were getting lots of pace and bounce and movement. And uh, he was trying to bowl wicket-taking balls all the time. And uh, at Newlands, he just thought, i let the pitch do the work. And he just bowled nine overs with the new ball straight through, finished with six for 15. And as you said, uh, it was a brilliant, brilliant performance. He and Jasprit Bumrah became only the second pair of Indian seamers to take six-plus wickets apiece in the same test match. Following uh, Bhuvneshwar Kumar and Ishant Sharma, who did the same against England at Lords in uh, 2014. But um, we'll come back to that in a second. Shukri Conrad is a South African Test coach, and uh, this was him having a chat after the game.
3: I love how everybody outside of South Africa have become experts on South African cricket. Our hands been forced. I think everybody understands that the SA20 league has to happen. Somebody got it wrong with the scheduling. And this is why we find ourselves in... But SA20 has to happen because it is the lifeblood and it's going to be the lifeblood of of South African cricket. If it doesn't happen, we won't have test cricket anyway. So it's unfortunate that it is the way it is. But we all saw the the value of the league last year. and, uh, And I've said it from day one that we've got to find a way to coexist with the league. We've got to coexist with leagues around the world to ensure the, the sustainability and, and yeah maybe their powers higher up that also need to start taking a few stances on in terms of where test cricket sit for nations outside of, shall we say, the Big Three.
1: What are your plans with the, for the squad? Are you gonna get get the the squad for New Zealand? Are you gonna have a, a sort of a hit out here before you go or when do you leave? Um, what what are your plans?
3: Yeah, so so what we've done is uh, I pretty much used the A side tour against the West Indies A as as part of that prep. We're going to be leaving for New Zealand a few days earlier so that we can prepare there. Yeah, so I think we leave around the 19th with the first test only on the 5th of Feb, so it gives us a bit of time to to prepare in Christchurch. Yeah, I think we're gonna we might have to pra- practice a lot of our mancading skills. <laughs> no, any joke, Neil. Um, It's still South Africa that's going there. We don't sing a different national anthem. We certainly don't wear a different blazer or anything like that. It is South Africa, and we're going to give it our our best shot. I hate the fact that South Africa go as underdogs, because I don't think we ever should be underdogs in anything we do. But we do go as underdogs. Let's not fool ourselves. And anything we come back with, whether it is a draw, if we sneak a win, um, that's going to be massive for us. Um, And it's going to be great for a lot of uh, uh, cricketers who who go out there for the first time. Um, Who knows? Uh, And I think that's going to be uh, our little throwaway line. Who knows? eh? That's South Africa's test coach, Shukri
1: Conrad, who's um, been spending a lot of time over the last three or four months cobbling together this makeshift team that uh, he's going to take down to New Zealand for two more test matches down there, Uh, he's very honest, you know, if we come back with anything, he said, we'll have done well, whether we can nick a draw, but yeah, uh, uh, Heinrich Klassen has just retired from test cricket as well, Harmi, and, uh, you know, South Africa's next assignment after New Zealand is two test matches in the Caribbean in August, which is during the 100, now, we talk about players can earn 10 times as much playing T20 cricket as they can, Playing uh, Test match cricket, but in this case, it's exactly exactly right because a two Test tour for South Africa uh, earns about two hundred and fifty thousand rand. He Clarsen will make over hundred thousand pounds in the hundred, which is two and a half million. So it's exactly ten times as much. As I as I said to you many times, the first recorded talk and conversations and media about Test cricket dying was was in nineteen eleven. So. I know that this is different, and and there are and there wasn't T twenty cricket around 110 years ago, but it is a serious, really serious situation, isn't it? And it, Test cricket will become marginalised to the point of inconsequence.
0: Yeah, and, and like we said last week, there's a roadmap ahead, and the bumps in the road are getting more and more difficult to get over. And it all comes down to finance. We shouldn't hide from the fact that it, it's money and you can't knock Henrik Lassen for saying, I don't want to play in that two-test series because he can earn 10 times more money. And I think that's where Rob Key's been brilliant at leading the ECB. Um, and that is something I think is going to get more and more difficult as it goes on. I look at this SA 20 and the New Zealand series and if I was from South Africa, I'd be going, yes, you know what? I'll take the, I'll take the hit on what's happening now if in five to 10 years' time, we're in a better position. So if cricket in South Africa in five to 10 years' time is in a better position, first class, T20, test match, everybody, and it's a very difficult country to all be singing from the same hymn sheet. I know that, and it's been like that for, for, for hundreds of years. But if it means that cricket's better over there, sending a B team, a C team, or a D team to New Zealand when things weren't, were very, very complex, when the uh, SA20 was, was first sort of brought in, If in five to 10 years' time we are in a much better place than what we were five to 10 years ago when we were really struggling, then all of a sudden I'll take that in the short term to make it long term. And that's where I'd be. If I was in charge of South African cricket, I would would be encouraging the players who are thinking about retiring from test cricket to not retire from test cricket, to speak to us that this is what we've got in place. And we'll find a way of dealing with it further down the line. And I think that's what Rob Key's done very, very well. Will Jacks has not got a contract. He's not going to India because his earning capacity is huge in T20 cricket. Yeah, you know, same with Liam Dawson. You know, and as much as Rob Key probably would have picked, well, the selectors probably would have picked Will Jacks, they didn't because of the decisions that were made leading into it. And I think that's, that for me is the flexibility of what Rob Key's done brilliantly for English cricket. I think that potentially needs to be across the board in South Africa. So if you had somebody at the top who married the whole thing together and said to Henrik Classen, look, if you get a, if you get a hundred contract, yeah, you're gonna play in a hundred. If somebody comes in, and takes a place does well, well then you're gonna to have to work hard to get back in a test team. But don't retire. Because next year, when the test matches come around and you're available and there's no other cricket on, and we potentially could pick you, you've actually made your bed. So that for me is the short term. Hit that you take to New Zealand to try and hopefully the long term roadmap ahead will be a lot more smoother because of the influx of the money. We can look after players better. We can make domestic cricket a lot better in this country. And then we, when we get a plan, that the world gets a plan on test cricket. And that's the thing, Manners. You mentioned there's been dying since, gonna die since 100 you know, 110 years ago. Cricket will come back. Test match cricket will come back. Definitely will come back. There's too many people talk about it in the greatest, with with the highest regard and the purest of the game, where the ICC will eventually find a way with the BCCI and all the cricket boards to find a way that Test cricket will come back in some shape or form to be, yeah, you know, maybe it's not financially the pinnacle, but it will still be regarded as the best form of cricket. Now people cutting the nose off the face, bang, and gone. I think that that for me, that's why I, it, getting somebody in charge at South African top level and said, look, just don't retire. You don't have to go, but don't retire.
1: So um, Klarsen issued a statement um, in which he said that he'd had uh, sleepless nights considering this decision that red ball cricket, and he's given up all red ball cricket, not just test matches, was his favourite format of the game. It made him the player that he was. He relished every single challenge that he faced. He said that his test cap is his the, his favourite p- possession and uh, means more to him than anything else. The, I mean, honestly, Harmi, it sounded like he was giving a child up for adoption. There are some players who, in their sort of early 20s, you say, well, I enjoy the white ball format. But it, it was really emotional, um, you know, and it is it is about money. And we come back to what Usman Kwadra said last week about a standardised test fee. Now, if Heinrich Klassen... Who's 32 years old was assured of, of of earning the kind of test match fees that Australia, India, and England's players get? Then I don't think he would have made this decision.
0: Yeah, and, that, and that's where that's where there's more noises now. Steve Vork came out. You know Vorni's had a couple of goals. Kawaja said what he said. We, we, they're all talking about it. And it might take you know, 32 year old Enric Claassen might be too late by the time the roadmap gets more smoother from a, a Red ball format where they find a window for test cricket around the world, i.e. Christmas time. Christmas time is test match time. You know, in the middle of the height of the summer, they found a window for the 100 in England. They've got to find a window June and July. If it's going to be in August, the 100, then June and July, you've got to be able to fit in six test matches. So you know that people are coming to... F- so the, the steerwear and board steerwear from white ball tournaments during these times where test cricket's going to come, and be the pinnacle. Then you pay them more. And once you've done that, then all of a sudden there's a, there's a good chance for, for players to play test cricket and white ball cricket simultaneously, still still earn you know, top dollar. Test match cricket is preserved to be the, the purest and the best format. And I think once you get to that point, then I think you know, cricket will be a lot more happier, a lot more harmonised. And... Do you know what? It'll be better. And it will come. I'm sure it will come. And as much as everybody keeps having a go at the BCCI, while likes of Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma want to play Test cricket, going to South Africa and still playing for their country, Test cricket means a lot to them. Then I still think Test match cricket has got a huge future in the global game. But at this minute in time, it's just somebody's got to start talking to somebody high up and make decisions. And whether it's the BCCI having enough. Sorry, the ICC having enough, if they've got enough about them to go, right, we all need to work together and let's work together, then you know what, we might have somewhere to go.
1: One happy byproduct, by the way, of the SA20 is that uh, a couple of the franchises have been using the Netherlands and Namibia as sparring partners or um, well, punching bags actually. If you look at the results, uh, but that's great. You know, the associate couple of associate teams getting some some quality game time against uh, SA Twenty franchises. So that's that's a good thing. Perhaps we can talk about that in part three when we're joined by John Norman. You're listening to following on here on TalkSport Two with me Neil Manthorpe and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Uh, next up, as I've just said, TalkSport's cricket editor John Norman joins us for the weekly debate as we reflect on the career of Australian opener David Warner, uh, who finished his test and ODI career this week.
2: to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan.
1: You're listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, alongside former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've uh, missed any of the show and uh, you want to catch up, you can download the podcast as usual from the Following On feed, available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about David Warner. David Warner. I was going to say for the final time, but it probably won't be. Um, He's announced that he's going to be in the commentary box um, in his uh, second half of his uh, cricketing career, but officially retired now from Test cricket, uh, helping Australia to an eight-wicket win over Pakistan at the SCG and a 3-0 series win. Scored 57 in his final innings, hence uh, his career with uh, over 8,700 runs in 112 matches, 2,600s, not many of them overseas. Steve Smith has said that he's pretty keen to open the batting in his place. So that's uh, David Warner, the cricketer. John Norman joins us to discuss David Warner, the
2: man. Where do you start? Do you know, guys, I'm going to miss David Warner. And the reason I'm going to miss David Warner is because, you know, when you invest in a in a sport, and this is, this is why football works in our country in exactly the same way that counter cricket doesn't work. Essentially, for a sport to really, really, really matter, you not only need to care about who's winning, you need to care equally about who's losing. And that's why football works. The drama isn't just about the winner, it's about the loser and the ramifications for that. And in county cricket, people just don't really care as much about the team that loses. They care as much about the team that wins, but the soap opera isn't quite there. The character isn't there. The tribalism isn't there. And the brainwashing hasn't been put in place for the last hundred years. So you're not brought up, unless you're from Yorkshire or Lancashire. It's just not really there in the same way. But it is in the, It is there in the same way when it comes to the ashes. And it is there when it comes to international cricket. And for me, the retirement of David Warner robs the game of the last true pantomime villain. When we grew up, Every single nation, apart from New Zealand probably, had the villain. We all look back at the West Indies, right, as this great time. But boy, oh boy, they had so many villains. Viv Richards running down the wicket and getting Rob Bailey caught behind and ending his career. The West Indies fast bowlers bouncing our tail enders. They were villains. And it meant that when we beat them, it mattered and it meant so much more. And Australia has always had villains. Ricky Ponting, Matthew Hayden, Glenn McGrath, and David Warner. And now David Warner's gone, I'm going to ask you this question. Now everybody seems to get on so well. Everybody plays in the IPL or these T20 tournaments. It's big smiles all round. Guard of Honour. Everybody, you know, celebrating Christmas together, it seems. Where have the villains gone? When you look around the world game... And when you see England going up against them, when you're celebrating England's successes, where are the people that you're equally celebrating them losing in the way that we used to with David Warner? And I can't think of any. Harmi, before you answer, I
1: just want to say, I, I know of at least three cricketers who now make their living post-retirement from giving talks about just how nasty David Warner was for years and years. And the first thing that crosses my mind, John, when you said to, refer to pantomime villain, villains is that they're funny and they're largely harmless. Uh, and, and this is a question, it's not a statement, but my experience is that from year after year after year, David Warner was meticulous in his planning and the level of cynicism and downright viciousness for year after year after year. Personal attacks, deep, deep personal attacks. And what I also learned through the course of uh, the last five or six years is that he was put up to it by other players who said, yeah, go for it. They referred to him as the attack dog. And I know that we time heals everything, but I think it'll take a few years for quite a lot of people who played against David Warner to even think of him as a pantomime villain?
2: I hear where you're coming from. I think that he, the David Warner attack dog was especially evident against South Africa. But you know what? Shane Warne, Daryl Cullinan, that was pretty uh, pretty intense out there, wasn't it? You know, it was, there's been a lot of back and forth between South Africa and and Australia over the years. Uh, One of my favourite stories is about Brian Brian McMillan borrowing uh, a Kalashnikov and kicking down a door and pretending to run into the Australian dressing room and shoot them all. Look, I'm not defending David Warner. It's true to say that we watch a lot of cricket. And at times, we don't dial it in, but we struggle to care quite as much as we should. And that comes with just watching a lot of of the sport. But I always said to myself, the moment that I don't celebrate David Warner's wicket, with that kind of feeling that I used to celebrate wickets when I was a child watching cricket, that was a day for me to pack it in. And I never reached that moment. Him, the villain, he still symbolised that person. And without that kind of person on the opposition team, I think cricket as a whole is a poorer spectacle.
0: Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but from a player's point of view, I always looked at it and thought, you know what? It's just background noise. It really is background noise. When somebody was having a go, I, I was fortunate to be a fast bowler who not many people would would try. I'm sure David Warner would try. And there's times when Pat crossed a little bit at the start of his career when he came to Durham um, for that short period of time. Um, I agree. Your pantomime villain, he is. Yeah, question you ask is there anybody else? I'd probably say there's only really one that I can think of who gets close to the line on numerous occasions. Yeah, that's Virat Coley, um, who have got any stature in the game who you think you celebrate. What you're talking about, celebrating his wicket. I don't think he's as venomous, anywhere near as venomous as what Davey Warner is. Yeah, you know, I probably would have quite enjoyed playing against David Warner because if he did come at you, and I'm sure he would consistently would come at you, you'd enjoy getting a time where the ball's flying about and it's going over his head. And they're the times you enjoy Shane Warne coming at like some of your teammates, and then you get Warney down your end when you're bowling. You're not just bowling; you're bowling for your whole team to have a go at you know the great man because you know because he's. He's put one over on Paul Collingwood or he's had a go at Ian Bell or yeah, you know, he's he's tried to get into you know, the other the mind of Strauss such as Gothic. So when Warney comes out to bat, he knew, you know, more than more than, you know, on nearly on every occasion that there was an opposition at a fast bowler. That fast bowler was bowling for his batting unit because of the way that Shane would behave with you know, when he was bowling and talking about the mind games and everything that come with it. But for me, I just always thought it was background noise. Yeah, I never got into a position where, got close to the line, or I felt as though I I need to sort of get at somebody for, for what he said to me. I'm sure people watching the game loved the fact that these characters made the game so special for their their their, their watching purpose. But actually, in the game, when you're in the game, there's one there's one or two times I've been at I've. I've and you know, my big mate Andrew Flintoff, there's quite a few times when we played, especially we played a couple of times we played against Africa, where we had big partnerships. and you'd get Herschel Gibbs and you get one or two others having a go at at us because we're our number. I'm number eleven. He's he's smashing it, and you know Herschels keep going. And and Fred would just turn around to him, "Are you still talking?" You know, he would he would, he would just come back with, "Are you, are you still going? You know, you're not sick of your own voice yet." And it's just not working. So for me on the field, it's quite good humour. It's quite good. If it did step over the line, you know, there are times where it does, then you know, somebody tends to stand up and says, felt some way to belt up and shut up. But at the end of the day, I agree with you. I'm going to miss David Warner because I think he was, a, I thought he was a special talent as a cricketer. We came into the Durham dressing room when he was 18 as a 2020 specialist. Nobody had him playing test match cricket. And I'll never forget Jeff Cook. Never forget the great man Jeff Cook saying he will be a test cricketer, and we're just looking at Jeff and going, "You're joking! He's a baseball player. He just stands there and slugs it. tries to slug it everywhere." And Jeff Jeff said straight from the start, "He went. He's got good technique. He's got good hands, and he watches the ball closely and he hits the ball hard." He said he will turn himself into a test cricketer, and we just we just didn't believe him because at the time David Warner came over to to England off the back of a, a you know, start of a T20 career, which people only probably really give him that was he's going to be his niche market, 2020, possibly about bit of 50, 50 over. You'll never get away from what happened in South Africa. Unfortunately, that will always follow him. But as a cricketer, as an actual talent, he's been. A, I think he's been a wonderful servant for Australia and something which has been good for the game because everybody wants to hate him. And you know what? Them characters are normally normally better for the game because of, because of the colourful nature that they are.
2: John, final word from you? I think he's going to be an amazing TV pundit. Uh, I heard a, a fascinating little piece on the Big Bash a couple of days ago, Aaron Finch, talking about what it was like to bat with David Warner at the top of the order. And he said that both he and David Warner were talkers and essentially Warner wouldn't shut up. And not only was Warner constantly talking between deliveries about what the bowler was trying to do, how he was trying to combat that, he was also telling Aaron Finch what the bowler was trying to do to him to get him out and what he needed to do to counter. And Aaron Finch was like, haven't you got enough to deal with on your plate? Just trying to score yourself without worrying about me. But for me, I think he has got an eye on the game that is going to be absolutely fascinating. What he will need to learn, and I don't think he'll take, I think he's got a little bit of KP about him. KP, though, KP seems to me he still wants people to like him. David Warner, I don't think he's going to bother with that. One of my favourite commentators was Tony Gregg, and Greg used to delight in being the only person in that Australian TV commentary box that didn't want Australia to win. He loved it. And David Warner, whilst obviously isn't going to be wanting Australia to fail, isn't going to be worried about... Saying the wrong thing or upsetting the wrong person, he will say it like it is, and I think he's got a terrific cricket brain. So uh, yeah, that's where I think he's going to go.
1: I agree. I agree, yeah, Harmy. There was. I'll give you the last word. Final. All this speculation a couple of years ago that uh, Warner would uh, spill the beans and uh, and tell his version of Sandpaper Gate in his book once uh, he'd retired. I hear that. Um, <laughs> the, the offer of the television contract deal might be dependent on him not releasing that
2: book. <laughs> that's that's why I can't see him coaching. I can't see him within the Australian cricket coaching setup.
0: No, I can't see him in the coaching setup, but I think he's going to be box office on the TV. Because if you go out your way to have a go at so many people and you do it the way he's done it, it tells you he thinks about what he's who he's having a go at. He's thinking about what he's saying. He's not. I don't think it's just open his mouth and stupid things come out I think he he's he has got a clear and obvious plan on what he's saying to each and every individual that he's doing because he's pulling apart their techniques he's pulling apart their lives trying to get inside them I agree with John I think Warner had a decent cricket brand and I think he'd be box office on TV KP does want to be liked he always has done and there's nothing wrong with that I don't think Warner's going to be quite the same so It'd be interesting to see who he sits next to on many many occasions because there might be a couple of them in the next ten to fifteen years in that commentary box. That because he's kept his mouth shut and not spilt the beans and the sandpaper gate, largely down to the fact that a couple of them might have to sit next to him for for test matches and commentaries. So it'll be interesting. Um, but I don't think you can get away from the fact, last word, his career was was absolutely brilliant from a just from a performance point of view. Especially with the baggy
1: green on. And finally, there's been widespread surprise that uh, Steve Smith has put his hand up to become Australia's new opening batsman. Nobody more surprised, probably, than Cameron Bancroft, Marcus Harris, and Matt Renshaw, who've been the three next cabs off the rank for a number of years now. So that was uh, a real surprise. John Norman, thank you, boss, for your time once again. That was. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and that won't be very many of you, uh, Talk Sports Cricket Editor John Norman. And he'll be back next week uh, for uh, another weekly debate. Um, but for now, you're listening to Following On here on Talk Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And don't forget, you can now watch us on YouTube. Head over to Talk Sport Cricket YouTube channel and subscribe. And now we begin part four with a uh, much-anticipated and promised live interview with uh, new Lancashire head coach, Dale Bankenstein, who joins us actually from Pretoria in South Africa, where he's been for a few days. He's part of the SA20 Pretoria Capitals team. Banky, thanks so much for your time. It looks like you've caught a bit of sun.
4: (laughs) Thanks, Mez. Yeah, we've been straight into it here. Nice to get a bit of sun, but I think I forgot what it was like over here. Yeah, we... We've had our afternoon practices and they've been getting rained off. So we changed to a morning practice, which obviously goes right through the middle of the day. So a few of us got, got the heat of, uh, of Pretoria. Um, yeah, but it's been good
0: so far. And thank you. Know, well, big news in the, in the latter part of the, the summer, the early part of the winter was uh, you moving into Lancashire and going in and as head coach. First of all, how would that come about? And you excited for the challenge?
4: Yeah, really excited. Um, obviously, moved back over to the UK now. I've spent six or seven years back in South Africa. I was based there. My kids are sort of moving over, more over to this side of, uh, the England side of the world. And um, yeah, I felt like I wanted a bit more of a challenge and, and wanted to see. Uh, and was interested in getting back into English cricket. So um, you know, got the Gloucestershire job was. I took that two years ago and it's been a tough two years, I have to admit. Real challenges there, but some real, some, some great learning, you know, from my point of view and also um, really enjoyed the the players and, and, and the challenges that, that the club sort of, that, that the club has. But I, you know, you always, after two years, I think my, uh, the opportunity of, of the Langs job came up and, you know I want to try and uh, and be the best coach I can be and I think that that gives me an opportunity to um, to do that and you know really grateful and
0: and very excited to have the job yeah I've been one of the best coaches you can be you're certainly one of the best captains I've played for if not the very mm-hmm. best and the challenge to go into what was a big as a big county in in Lancashire mm-hmm. comes with a little bit of pressure and pressure to to win the championship because Surrey have won it, been dominant for a few years. Durham are coming. I think you'll you'll know because you will add one eye on Durham, our, our county, and where their where their sort of trajectory is going. And going into Lancashire, there's there's always pressure on the on the big counties. Is that something you're looking forward to?
4: Yeah, I think that that's exactly it. I think um, as you know, we were uh, as as players, that's where we were uh, with Durham, and and. Um, I'm quite used to used to that pressure and, and, and look forward to trying to get the team to um you know to win the championship. I think that would be would be the goal. I think there are again challenges. I think every every team, you have your challenges with players like um Dane Vilas uh finishing off. He's been a <clears throat> fantastic leader and uh, so to fill his shoes will be be tough, but there's some some really good talent uh, up north there. And, um, and I think that's what I've always enjoyed as a as a captain and as a coach is you know keeping that blend of of youth and also experience in a team but as a coach bringing through and seeing that young talent um, getting to their best and also trying to get those players to play for England or it seems like now it's almost the same international cricket and franchise cricket is almost the the pinnacle now not just international cricket so yeah, I I really will enjoy those challenges and and as you said, there's more pressure, but I, I do feel um it's sort of where where I'd want to be.
1: Thank you. Um this is not a leading question because you'll know a lot more about the subject than I do. But I'm just curious when you said that things were a bit tough at Gloucestershire, is there a, a, a greater disparity now in your time in English County cricket between the rich and the and the not so rich, the haves and the have nots, the, the test playing counties with with the with the big grounds and the resources the more resources where were things a bit stretched in Bristol
4: yeah I think over the you know the my time in county cricket it's always been the case I think your your bigger counties have had they have got more resources um but it doesn't mean that you can't perform you know uh, but it was a challenge trying to trying to you know work always with you know with with little resources um facilities. What I would say is the hundred does seem to have made that gap a little bit bigger. I think the you know the hundred grounds do tend to have more resources now and more ways of making um, making more money, I suppose. Um, but I don't think money is the only thing that that creates good teams. So, I mean, the challenges were were just you know were, were cricket challenges. We're we're learning about a smaller county. How do they survive? Um, And I think those were different to what I'm used to. You know, I'm I'm more, I'm used to at Durham. We were were always pushing for championships at um, Hampshire. I moved straight into the Hampshire job after playing and just, you know, getting them up was the first thing. And then, you know, they they are a team and a club now that are are really searching for that, that championship as well. So, yeah, it was just slightly different I would say, a different uh, mindset. And it is tough for the smaller counties to to really compete, I would say. Um, and I don't know the exact, you know, how much the gap is uh, when it comes to the exact numbers and things like that. But it definitely, you always feel like you're having to fight above your weight and you always feel,
0: you know, that you're up against it as a as a coach and as a team. And you mentioned that, Benke, you're talking about yeah, but like Hampshire and your your sort of career path as as a coach. But you mentioned in about Lancashire and trying to get with Dim Velasco and the experienced players. You've got some good, exciting players. Bahanan is of the Lions at the minute in out in the UAE, Hartley's with England, Mahmood's mm. with England, but coming back like to Luke Wood. You've got Keaton Jennings. You know, during your time as as captain of Durham, I keep coming back to Durham because obviously the relationship we had, you yeah. weren't bothered about whether it was a young lad. At Scott Borthwick, Mark Stoneman, Ben Stokes coming into the team because that was the right thing, or signing Otis Gibson at 40-41 when I was <laughs> looking at you going, really? You know, coming from <laughs> Leicester? And he, he, went, he went on and took a, a 10 for that 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 same summer and got 80 wickets, won the championship, and kept us up. You, is this something, you know, when you go to that big county, you're going with, the, with an eyes wide open to go, well, we need youngsters, but we need a couple of senior players as well.
4: Yeah, you do. You have. I think they have got a they have got a good um, group of senior players there. And what I what I enjoy is, there's if everyone's fit, there, there's a really strong bowling attack. And I think in English cricket, if you want to challenge for the the championship, you need you need to have have a good bowling attack and 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 a bit of depth in that bowling attack. So I think there's a nice blend there ready. And obviously, we've uh, just signed Nathan Lyon as well, and you can't really get much more experience uh, from a spinning point of view as him. And and I think he will bring bring a load of experience just to the team. So, you know, I think there's that good experience. And then there are a few youngsters that I don't know that well, but I've seen them and am and, and, and aware of them. Um, there's young Bell, who's just sort of broken into the team and has done well. Hurst is another young youngster. Um, and Balderson has been playing quite a bit i think he captained England under 19s as well um so there's there's some exciting young players as well one in particular that i think you would enjoy is uh, signing from Worcester uh, mitch stanley uh, yeah. i've seen him bowl a few rockets so uh, that always excites me probably more when i was a captain i suppose but um, <laughs> but he um it's just great to have that to, to be able to work with and yeah I love seeing young talent I think you know it is something that that, 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 um, that we enjoyed you know seeing your Stokes's and Borthwick's and, and uh, Stoneman's Woody coming through and, and doing what they've done has, has been you know it gives you a lot, of, a lot of pleasure having played with them and also sort of nurtured them through their, their younger
0: um, uh, time of their careers and you, you mentioned there, you mentioned Nathan Lyon, and it, there's going to be a, a talking point because Tom Hartley's gone with England. How do you get the balance of playing a future England bowler, left-arm spin bowler, to play either with or potentially not play yeah. if you only play one spinner? And well, he's got 500 Test wickets, so he's going to play, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I
4: think that's a that's a good question, and I think it's a really it's a good subject in the whole of England, really. How do we get more spinners to play, and, and especially English spinners. Um, you've got a, a Harmer sort of dominates when it comes from a, a spin point of view. But he, you know, he, he is an English, and I do have a bit of a affinity to spinners. I really enjoy that side of the game. I love the the tactical side of captaining spin. But the, you know, unfortunately, England will always be dominated and has been dominated by. By seen bowlers. Um, one thing that may work in Hartley's favour is having Nathan Lyon. You would want the wickets then to to help him, and also the results at Old Trafford. it's been really tough to get results. You know, there's been a lot of draws. Um, the wicket is very good, so there. You know, there may be a need to have have more than one spinner, and the other the other way of him getting in the team as you all know these days is spinners have got a bat and the, the better he has improved his batting is improving um and you almost become a like an Ian Blackwell or you you make the team as either or as a batter or or a bowler so and, and that I think in English conditions balances the teams out better if he if he becomes a almost the first pick with a bat. So that's that's probably a challenge that he, he knows, even for England as well. And, and he'll be trying to work on. But no, it won't be easy. I think spinners have to understand that conditions aren't always going to be suited to playing two of them. But I think that communication and uh, to them, I think, is really important.
1: Thank you. I'll let Harmi ask you the last question about the SA20 and, and and the future of Test cricket. But I just wanted to ask you an even harder question. So about 15 years ago, I had um, Chris Broad round for a bri at my house and Stuart had just made his debut. And uh, yeah. I asked um, uh, Chris um, uh, how good he thought Stuart might be. And he said, oh, that's a very hard question. He said, <laughs> I think, he, yeah, I said, what do you reckon he'd take 100 wickets for, for England in Test cricket? And he said, well, I, um, yeah, yeah, probably. He didn't say <laughs> 600. So I wanted to ask you for a, a comment. I won't ask you how good Luke Bankenstein might be, because <laughs> that would be horrible. But, mm. um, it, it, I mean, it, it must be quite um, a challenge, I suppose. You know, being a father to an up-and-coming young cricketer who is obviously very talented. And also, you know, being as involved in the game as head coach of Lancashire.
4: Yeah, It is tough, I think. You it's exciting at the same time, and, and you you sort of feel like you can help him a bit. But yeah, it is uh, you, you sort of on one side, you're hoping that they do play sport or, or do what you did, and but on the other hand, you're sort of hoping that he just becomes a lawyer or something. Uh, <laughs> cricket, is a, <laughs> cricket is a tough, it's a hell of a tough job, you know. And and um, yes, there's great rewards if you if you go all the way and make it to the top but but generally and i would say mentally as well it's a tough very tough game but he is you know it is something he is has been since 14 years old really really clear that that's what he wants to do as much as i've tried to persuade him not to <laughs> um it's, it's what he wants to do you know or how he goes i think is he's on the right track um, and a lot is just going to be up to him and, and what opportunities come up. And it's, you know, it's not a bad time to be a young, exciting cricketer, really. It is. There's, there's, there's a lot going on in the world, but yeah, like I say, he's, he's, he's got a chance and the rest is going to be up to him watching is awful uh, as a parent. <laughs> and I think when I became head coach of Lancashire, he he wasn't that impressed. I think it was one of the counties you would want to go and play at, but as a spinner, you'd want to have those big boundaries, but now that I'm there, he definitely won't be coming to Lancashire. He doesn't want to doesn't want to um, play under or uh, well, with me as as coach or, or make a team when I'm when I'm coaching. And so he was a bit disappointed, I think, because I think it was one of the places he would want to go.
0: <laughs> and you talk about. Yeah, exciting times for for young crickers. You mentioned Luke coming into the game, and he, he is an exciting young talent, captain England. And, and the the chances for them now, Ben, it's not like what it was when we were playing, where if you didn't make it at Test cricket, you didn't make it. That was it. Now, oh, I think yeah. it's brilliant. You know, whatever franchise, if anybody thinks about the franchises, there's a chance really for young players to come and express themselves and really make a life for themselves and a living for themselves, money. In South Africa have 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 got a tournament. They've got a yeah, you know, you're involved in it in the SA twenty. There's a lot of talk about the test series that's going on in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. What have you what have you seen from inside in the comments and what people are talking about? And also, you know, as a proud South African, what do you what do you make of what's been happening over the last sort of six weeks when there's been a hell of a lot of talk about Test cricket and franchise cricket?
4: Yeah, I think we all sort of knew this was this day or these days were coming and it's now finally here where, um, and I understand, I don't, I don't think it's anyone's fault other than probably the fixtures uh, being right over a tournament that had a great start last year. And as you said, as th- these franchise tournaments are, um, are becoming massive parts of, of the cricket calendar and, and big opportunities for players um, to, to make a great living. But it is, you know, the, I don't think South African cricket can survive without the SA20 and, and those tournaments. So um, I think Shukri Conrad said it in, in his interview that, uh, you know, if we, if we don't have the SAT20, we probably won't have it. We won't even have test cricket, let alone sending out a side that, that everyone uh, or some people saw as, as being, you know, not, not good enough. But it is just what it is. I think. I think it's unavoidable now, and 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 in, in countries like South Africa, it is unavoidable. It is tough. I'm sure there's got to be. I, I'm not on that, that, that. That's a bit above my pay grade. Those decisions and everything. But you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about it. There's going to be a lot of decisions that I think are going to have to be made, especially with the calendar, um, and also how many. There's just not enough days in, in the year now to play. Test cricket and T Twenty internationals and ODIs and have all these franchises. So I think something is going to going to have to give, and I think it's days or moments like this that makes everyone realise that this isn't really how we want cricket to go. We, we want the best players to be to be playing against each other, and we, and um, that is going to take a bit of organising with the, with with the calendar, I
1: think. Benke, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy your um, month in the sun and um, good luck in returning to Manchester in uh, the middle of February. Um, <laughs> thank you. It's been fantastic uh, to talk to you. Pleasure. And the Pretoria Capitals were the best team last year. So you, you ought to go on and win it this year. Uh,
4: thanks. I'm looking forward to it.
1: That was the very excellent Dale Benkenstein, Lancashire head coach. Right, Just a couple of uh, uh, minutes to go, Harmy. Just a quick word to Glamorgan. Who've appointed Grant Bradburn as their new head coach, all formats, three-year deal. I think that's a terrific appointment. Um, he he coached Scotland, and uh, he was obviously part of the the uh, Pakistan. Well, in fact, he was head coach of Pakistan for Test series against New Zealand and Sri Lanka, and he's a a, a very very highly spoken of and highly thought of coach. So great, great for Glamorgan, really good appointment.
0: Yeah, very good appointment. Somebody who's whose name will not stand out there in lights and go, wow, this is it. But when you want, you know, first class cricketers to emerge and get better, you want to work with good coaches, especially at that level. And for me, he's a very, very good coach. And he seems as though he's a he's a very, very level, level headed man who speaks, you know, very, very well. I I listened to him a couple of times speak off the back of Pakistan's Up and Down World Cup, you know, working with Mickey Arthur. And I I always came away from listening to the interviews going, you know, that guy speaks a lot of sense and he will be realistic in addressing him." And I think it's a great appointment for for Vloga Morgan. And going for three years, that hopefully gives him some stability with a a foundation to work from.
1: Okay, finally, um, the final word. And this week it goes to Shakibala's son, Um, Harmi. I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but uh, he's just won a landslide victory. Yeah. to uh, to to become uh, um, a member of parliament in uh, the Bangladeshi Parliament, House of Commons. So it just always occurred to me, given your diplomatic skills, why you never chose that uh, career path yourself? I thought you. I always thought you'd be brilliant in in politics. No, not my idea of fun. <laughs> that. I managed a football team who had a chairman
0: who was um, an MP, and then rose as the team was as I was manager of the team to the chairman of to be chairman of the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn. And I seen a little bit firsthand of what goes on inside that world and decided that there's nowhere in the world I want to be anywhere near politics or anywhere near that organisation. So I left the football world and you know, the chairman resigned just after that, After that, so which was a shame because I would have still been there if he hadn't have been there. So, no, not my idea of fun, that politics stuff. I think it's a murky world, which... I'm quite happy being, you know, having a conversation with you every week, Manners. Well done, <laughs> Chucky Balasan. The most diplomatic man I've ever seen on a cricket pitch, as
1: long as he's not talking to a number. I didn't say you'd enjoy it. I just said you'd be good at it. Right, two weeks till we're in Hyderabad. You've been listening to Following On here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthel, alongside the one and only Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you want to catch up, don't forget, download the podcast from the following on feed. Uh, available on the free TalkSport app. We'll be back at the same time next week to look ahead in more detail to England's Test series in India. But for now, you've been listening to
2: Following On. The Following On podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan.